Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. That's all big. Um, yeah, thank you guys. I'm excited to be here. First, uh, I want to let you guys know that at Stonebridge, one thing that we all know um, about Vintage 242 is your care um, for and your commitment to the community. Um, and so it's spoken of and you're well spoken of um, as the light of the world around here. So just to encourage you, um, and to say we're thankful for you in that. Um, I'm personally thankful because, like, I know a lot of you in this service. And that's fun for me, uh, to be able to smile at you and to be able to think about the great memories. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, um, just to tell you a little bit about me, like Randall said, um, I've been the student ministry pastor at Stonebridge for um, just about seven years. Uh, I'll show you guys some of my students here. They'll come up on the screen. So those are some of my students um, some of you guys know some of them. Some of you guys have actually been, maybe some of you guys in this room have been uh, to this place. That was a mission trip we did uh, to Honduras at a place called Orphanage Emmanuel. Um, we actually went one year. We partnered uh, with Vintage. Um, it's a great place. It's a great time. Um, but I love students. Uh, I've worked with them, uh, like I said, for, well, for eight years now, total, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Before that, I worked with college students. And, and I really just think they're incredible people. Uh, for me, church planting is not about running from. It's about running towards. I know that most of you middle schoolers are about running from. But for me, it's not. Um, I, I really love them and appreciate them. Um, and I'd encourage you uh, uh, to spend time with them. Spend time with middle schoolers and high schoolers. They're, they're brilliant people. They're incredibly complicated. Um, so I don't take that for granted. My daughter's here. She's about to be 13. Um, and she knows how ill-equipped I am to handle that. Uh, but, um, but, but they're incredible people and I've learned so much about the Lord, about how to follow the Lord, even, uh, from students in this room. Um, and so I love it. I love students. I love student ministry. Another thing that I love just to let you know about me and things that I love is I love sports and particularly I love the sports I grew up with. And that means Atlanta sports and it means Georgia sports. And it means, you know, that I'm acquainted with long suffering um, specifically because the middle of that is my heart. That's my heart <laughs> is the University of Georgia. Went to school there, grew up rooting for Georgia, continue to root for Georgia no matter what. It's just a sign of my dedication to difficult things. Um, I love sports. I've learned that that doesn't make you better at sports, but it also gives you a lot of arbitrary things to care about and make you feel bad about yourself. So I've got that going for me. But, um, but last night we had a win. Did anybody see it? Yeah. You guys were watching. Yeah, it was a good moment. Anybody, was anybody there? Were any of you guys there? Yeah, me neither. Come on, we're regular people, right? But, um, but, I, but I had the joy of getting to watch it with my son. He's back there, Will. Um, he talked me into letting him stay up. And um, we watched uh, Atlanta United bring it home. That was fun. And it was cool. And it was a celebration. I didn't grow up with soccer. Um, but just like I committed to hockey with the Thrashers, I'm committed to soccer with Atlanta United. And soccer fans, who are like really hardcore soccer fans? Are you in this room? Here's none of you. Oh, a couple of you? All right, great. They're all sleeping in, probably. Um, but So I need you to know this if you're a hardcore soccer fan. We want to be soccer fans. You've got to invite us in. You can't have a chip on your shoulder. We don't understand. We don't know when people are offsides. We don't understand it. Just invite us in. We want to be a part of it. We want to celebrate, too. So excited for Atlanta United. Third thing I love, you get to know me, you'll hear about these people. It's my family. Um, this is my family. This is my immediate family. If you'll notice, one of those things is not like the others. One of those things but still belongs is the guy who's about a head and shoulders above us there in the left corner. That is my son-in-law. 
Michael. He is married to my daughter, Samantha. There's a story there that I don't have time to share with you guys today, but I would love to um, uh, if you ever want to hear that story. Currently, they are living in China, uh, teaching English as a second language and, and seeking to be missionaries and missional people while they're over there. We really miss them a lot. We're excited we're there, um, but we hope to have them home someday. Um, next to them in the front, looking at her little brother who's behaving just like a little brother, is my daughter, Emma. She's here. I won't embarrass her too much. Um, and then my son, Will, I also want to embarrass him too much. And my wife has him in what she usually has him in, which is like an almost headlock, trying to get him to not poke his sister while she makes us all look nice uh, for a picture. That's my wife, Jane. They're here today. I'll tell you guys one quick story about them um, as I get into telling you. Uh, about our church. The first question people always ask about our church is what's it called, right? Which is an incredibly difficult decision. I don't know if you've ever had to name a business or anything like that. It's, I feel like it's easier to name kids. I don't know about you, but like it's incredibly difficult and there are a lot of bad ideas. I'll just tell you that. Like if you don't like a business name, you need to know that it was the best of a number of bad ideas that were out there. And, and so we would sit in meetings with our leadership team and we would come up with these ideas and they, it, they were incredibly discouraging meetings for me. Um, and so we were leaving one of these one time and, and our, and our kids didn't know yet about the church plant. I can't tell it. I'm telling it, dude. Um, so just duck down. Um, so we were leaving and we were driving home and I asked our, you just leave for a minute. You can come back. Um, I asked our kids, I said, Hey, if you were going to start a church, what would you call it? And my son said, cash, the bridge to life. I don't know why. I asked him why. He said, I like cash. So that's simple. I said, we're not going to be that kind of church. So, and here's what you need to know. That wasn't the worst name that anybody came up with, but, but it didn't make the cut for sure. Um, and then we asked our daughter and, and she said Highland. And, uh, so that was the name. Uh, for a variety of reasons in the end, stuck with us. So what is Highlands? Highlands is a church that, that is going to try to build itself um, around four values. Every church has values or anchors or sort of core beliefs that they hold to. A lot of those are just the language you use to describe the things of the church. And so for us, uh, those things are first relational discipleship. For me, what relational discipleship is, is is sitting down across the table from someone, listening to God and listening to them and then sharing what you hear. It's as simple as that. We're going to try to build uh, the belief. We're going to try to build around the belief that that is the best way that we grow with each other. The second is family of God. Uh, one thing I've noticed over the years is that the New Testament language to describe people of God in community with each other is family. It's heavily family. God's a father. Jesus is the son. We're brothers and sisters. We're sons and daughters. And so our hope is to to build our church around the value of what it means to relate as a family, not even as friends or a community, uh, but as a family. And what does that mean in terms of your commitment to each other? The third is what we call city on a hill, but really it's connected to that passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're the city on a hill. You're the salt of the earth. And what does it mean to live like that as a church in a community? That's something I think Vintage does really well. Um, and then the last is, to be, is that we're transformed by the Spirit. Um, that ideas are great and community is great and relationships are great. But ultimately what transforms us is as the Spirit speaks into those things. So those are the values we're going to try uh, to live in. Uh, the second thing that people always ask when we say we're planting a church is where are you going to plant it? And that's a fair question, um, but it was a really difficult one for me. Uh, and, the, and the reason is that 
that I've, I've never really made decisions based on geography. I lived in Valdosta for five years for Jesus. So that ought to show you that I don't make decisions based on geography. If you're from Valdosta, I loved it. Uh, but it's kind of like the beach without the ocean. It, but, uh, but, but I've never made uh, decisions based around a calling of geography. And so when I felt like God was calling us to plant a church, I, I really wondered about that. Marietta's home for me. It's, it's home as much as any place in the world. And I didn't want to move and I didn't feel compelled or called to move. And so I said, God, well, what are we doing in terms of where are we going? And I felt like the Lord said, you are called to a people group. You're not necessarily called to a geographic location. And so so I think Highlands Reach, if you're in terms of where are you going, is is this place, right? It's, it's this middle space right here between people who love church and people who hate church. And let me unpack that just for a minute, if I can. What I mean by that is that um, my my. In, Almost my entire adult life, um, I, I have worked in the church, and, and I love the church. I love the church as described biblically in terms of the people of God and the way that God intends to reach and to transform the world by his Holy Spirit. But I also kind of love church. I don't know about you, but I kind of love it. I love singing. I love hanging out together. I love hearing the word. I love the prayer and the community and the cool things that happen as a part of that. And so if you love church, like I get it and I get you and I, and I can very much feel at home with you. There's also another side to me and it's, it's always been there. Um, and I don't know why I didn't, I didn't try to cultivate this, but I'm also super comfortable and, and incredibly connected to people who hate church. Or at least hate what they think church is or hate what they believe church has become or hate the idea of church or the ways that the church has treated them or treated other people. I spend a lot of time with people who feel that way. In fact, I'm part of a group. I've been blessed to be part of a group for the last three years of people. It kind of started as a small group and now it's a bit of a bigger group. Maybe it's a medium sized group of people that cover the spectrum of those circles. You have people everywhere from what I would call um, evangelical atheists like, all the way up to, to somebody like me. Um, and one of them has been uh, texting me all morning about something because he doesn't care that today's Sunday or that church is happening or that I speak at churches because, like, he doesn't care. We're friends. And, and, and that's what we do. And he's told me, if you start a church, I'm not going to your church. Um, but. But we're close and we've grown in this in this group that we're a part of has become for him his church. And and he won't probably ever walk in a space like this. Maybe he will. I don't know. But but odds are, aren't great if he hasn't so far for a variety of reasons. But but he but he builds his life around this community that that we've become. And, and so the hope for me is that Highlands can live somewhere in that tension between people who love church and people who hate church. And, and not by trying to create a space where both of those people can come. I, th- I think that's incredibly difficult, and most times it's unsatisfying for both people. Because you end up having to compromise some, something that, that, you, that you truly value. And, and so the hope is, is for Highlands to be a worshiping community of people that also value the fact that God has given every single one of us what I would call nomadic communities. Communities that maybe aren't our source, communities that maybe aren't our place to be filled up, but that God has called us into. And that we would be actively building those communities purposefully through the power and the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we would say that that to some level that what is church, but it's a place where people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and care for the Holy Spirit ask him to be present in the lives of people who gather. 
And, and so my hope is that Highlands will be a place where we actively build these nomadic communities so that for other people, they become their worshiping communities at some point. That they're drawn into a relationship with God and, and they're not blocked off by the point that this space is never going to feel like home to them. That they're not blocked off from the presence of God based on style or based on dress or based on socioeconomic status or based on history with what they think the church is. But they're drawn into communities and then those people could go forth and they could find their nomadic communities and allow those to become worshiping communities for somebody else. Uh, there's a couple of books that have really informed us in this, just so you know that... I, that I'm not just crazy. I might be crazy, but I'm not the only crazy person, and I'm not just crazy. Uh, one of those is a book by a guy named Bob Goff called Everybody Always. Uh, I don't know if you've read that or not. Um, it's a good book. It's, it's an easy read if you're, if you're a light reader. Um, you can probably read it pretty quickly. Um, it's not heavy on theology, but it's heavy on the idea um, that, that God's love and God's presence is for everybody. And, and, and we need to carry that into them. Uh, the second book is called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. It's by a guy named George Hunter, who's a professor at Asbury Seminary. Um, I went to Asbury. And uh, it's a little more theological, and it digs in a bit more. It's historical. It's about St. Patrick and how he took a worshiping community of people and uh, used them to reach all of these nomadic tribes in Ireland and Scotland. Um, so those are some things that have informed us. If those ideas kind of stick with you and you're like, huh, I wonder what that's about, but I don't want to talk to that guy, um, you can check out either of those books and maybe they could tell you a little bit more about it. I'm having something's happening with this, Randall. What am I doing wrong? Did it, was it always like that? Can I move it this way? Am I just, I was too heavy on it. All right, sweet. Um, so... So that's, that's one way you can find out more. Um, our plan and how we enact this is, is simply to be a church of the community. That's that worshiping group. We want to be a church to the community. That's how we want to embrace relational discipleship. And we want to be a church building community. And that's the idea about actively engaging and helping people uh, be purposeful in these nomadic tribes that they have. Um, that's obviously not a ton of time or a ton of information in terms of clarity. Uh, but if you want more, you can go to Stonebridge's website and you can click on the sermons and there's a link for the family dinner. And I go into a little more detail about these ideas. You can also talk to me after the service if you want to do that. Um, or you can just email me. Um, a lot of people do that. If you want to get together and talk, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, things that you would want to share um, I'd always appreciate that. And on that note, if you're looking for ways to help us, how does Vintage help Highlands? We're going to be part of the same network. So how does that work? First, I would, I would ask you to pray for us, please. Right? We're going to do nothing without the power of the Spirit, or at least nothing that matters. And we're going to do nothing well without the power of the Spirit. Talk with us. I'm a verbal processor. Every conversation I've had around this with anybody has been helpful. I want to ask all the hard questions early. So, or as early as I can. So if you have them, I would really appreciate the chance to talk to you. Um, and then finally, respond to the Spirit. Uh, Steve said he wanted me to tell you that I told him um, that that if, if the Spirit speaks to you and, and you want to come with Highlands, that you can. It's kind of weird in the network. You get to go to all the churches and you talk to them um, about your church. And, and so there's not, I don't, I don't know how to do that. They say it's recruiting. That feels weird to me. Um, so, so I would just say respond to the spirit and whatever the spirit does, um, just be obedient to that. And, and so maybe for some of you, this makes sense. It probably doesn't make sense geographically, uh, for a lot of you, but, but maybe the Lord's calling you to something that doesn't make sense geographically, or maybe he's calling you to, to just be somebody who sits down and has coffee and encourages us or partners with us in prayer or some other way. Um, and so I'd encourage you to just do those things, respond to the spirit and then let me know what you feel like he says, if there's anything that, that you feel like it's important for, for me to know. Um, so that's it for Highlands. All right. Are we good?
You guys ready to jump into the sermon? Let me see how much time I got. All right, cool. Don't worry. I'll, um, I don't have too many interesting things to say, so it'll be short at least. All right, so we're talking about Advent. And I want you guys to know that uh, my history for the most part of my, um, my childhood up through most of my working life, I worked in the United Methodist Church. And the United Methodist Church loves things like Advent. It loves the church calendar. It loves to, like, have colors that go along. Anybody Methodist Church people, right? Colors and robes and all that stuff. I did it all, right? I wore a robe and I sat up front and I did the thing. I used to try to make faces at my wife to see if I could get her to laugh during the service. Um, and, and so there's, there's so much kind of richness, uh, that you could get into in terms of Advent. Uh, but, but the thing that I, that, that I think is, is really precious about Advent is that it's a time where the church looked and said, you know what? Life moves too fast. We don't want important moments to pass us by. And so we need time to prepare to remember the most important events, and Christmas is one of those. Advent just means preparation. Steve talked last week, and he said, uh, preparation is our intentional effort to live a life as if Jesus is returning tomorrow. And, and that's a lot of what Advent allows you to do, is it allows you to take time remembering when Jesus first came to help your heart and your mind stay prepared for Jesus' return. This week, the focus is on prophecy. As, as a key to preparation. And if, just in case you don't know, prophecy just means God speaking in the present about the future. And, and it's incredibly important if we're going to be people who live preparing for something else and not just this present moment, that we understand what God is saying today about tomorrow. Because living prepared... Living towards Jesus takes time, it takes perseverance, and it takes faithfulness because it can feel like forever. So, so today, I, I just wanted us to look at the way that, that God prophetically prepared people for the first Christmas. And one of the responses to that preparation is a way to maybe help us live better prepared for Jesus. So if you, if, if you look in the Old Testament, the last book is, is the book of Malachi. And, and the, the last thing God says at the end of Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, he says this. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I was thinking, you might try putting that on your Christmas card this year to get people ready. Do you feel like, they? oh, that's sweet, right? So, so God says this at the end of Malachi as a preparation for the first Christmas. And then God says nothing else for the next 400 years. If you're under the age of 30, that's called being left on red to the extreme. Right? You guys know what that means, right? Like, you guys know. You got to help me a little bit, right? Like, being left on red, right? That means, like, you said, hey, God. And he got it, and nothing came back for 400 years. If it goes, like, four minutes, you guys are freaked out, right? Like, for 400 years, God said nothing. So you would say, hey, and God would say, just read the book. Just read the book. Can you imagine 
the sense of fear, stress, and anxiety. The sense of waiting and waiting, that became hopelessness over 400 years. And then after 400 years, God speaks. And, and the first person we have him recorded really speaking to is, is this priest named Zechariah. And, and Zechariah um, is, is established. Zechariah is older. Zechariah is a priest. He's the kind of guy that you would think would be in the perfect position to respond to God's voice, to be waiting on God's voice. But, but what God says catches Zechariah off guard. What God says doesn't fit with Zechariah's plan. It might even be better than Zechariah's plan. I, we're not going to read that today. You can give, maybe that's just a bit of a tease. You can go back and read what happens with Zechariah. But, but whatever it is, Zechariah has this order to life and there's something about it. And Zechariah, Zechariah does not respond well. And the reason we know that he doesn't respond well is that God says to him, you don't get to talk. You don't get to talk. Right? Be- because you weren't prepared to respond well. Because you weren't able to hear the word about tomorrow and live into it faithfully. You don't get to talk for a while, Zechariah. God still loves him. God still works through him. God still moves in him. But that's what happens with Zechariah. The second person that God talks to is nothing like Zechariah. It's a teenage girl named Mary. And and the response that you see in Mary is the response of somebody who is allowing God's prophetic word to shape her preparation. She's not allowing her experiences or her understanding or her place in the world order to define those things, but she's allowing God's prophetic word to define those things. If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 1. If not, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Most of us know Mary's story. It's probably not new to you. But but if you really sit and think about it, like this is an insane story. This is an insane encounter. A teenage girl, probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old, no place in society from a nowhere town. An angel shows up in her life. She knows that it's not great news, right? It says she's troubled, right? She's like, wait a minute. This isn't how this is supposed to work. Right In the midst of that, this angel tells her something impossible, something crazy, something that's going to wreck her life completely. 
And this thing that Zechariah couldn't respond well to, when he was way more prepared from an outward view, Mary responds faithfully to somehow. And, and I think there's so much in here that you can look at with Mary. And I would just encourage you, if you're looking for a place to read over the Christmas season, just read this again and again and again. Read about Joseph. Read about how these two people faithfully responded to God's call of the first Christmas. There's so much there. But, but for us, with, with the little bit of time we have left, there, there's really two things that I think about that I, that I just wanted to share with you, maybe as an encouragement. And and the first is this prophetic words, God's word, God's words prepare us by letting us know that what we feel is not the final reality. Mary responded well by letting the prophecy and God's final reality determine her response rather than her feelings. Some of us are high feelers, right? I'm this thing, they, they now call it a highly sensitive person. My wife looks and says, yeah, you are. You are sensitive. But I don't think that's what it means. I think that what it means is like you can just sense what's going on. I'm a feeler. Some of you guys are feelers, right? And, and how we feel drives much of our reality. And, and, I, and I want you guys to know that, that I don't think feelings are bad. I think God uses feelings. I think a lot of the most courageous things that we end up doing for the Lord involve feelings. I don't think that I would be willing to plant a church if I didn't feel deep within me that it was something that I had to do. Logan and I go to camp every summer and we watch as God stirs up emotion. And I believe it is the Lord. He stirs up emotion in students to to challenge them, to allow them to press through in order to grab hold of something that if they weren't stirred up, they wouldn't grab a hold of. But, but those of us that, that are feelers and those of us who love the feeling of God's presence, see, we struggle to prepare when our feelings don't match up with God's final reality. See, Mary was troubled and she was concerned. Right? But God said this, I'm with you and you have my favor, so don't be afraid. See, we, a lot of times we think the sign of God's favor and presence is that our lives are going to be and feel easy. Is that things are going to work out the way we hoped and everything is going to go well for us, right? Isn't that what we mean so many times when we're like, I'm just blessed. What we mean is like nothing's going wrong. Isn't that often what we mean? Everything is working out the way that feels good. Every today's just, I'm just blessed today. What a blessing that is, right? We don't often think, oh, I'm an unmarried pregnant teenager. What a blessing that is. But God looked at Mary and he said, hey, you need to know, I know that this feels troubling. I know that there's a lot to be anxious about. I know that the God who is talking to you is also the God who said, everybody better get ready because if you're not ready, it's going to be bad. I know that there's a lot to be troubled about, but here's what I need you to know. I'm with you. I love you. And don't be afraid. It's funny. He says, don't be afraid. 
And he doesn't say because everything is going to go right for you. He says, don't be afraid. You're, you're going to get pregnant and have a baby. I would be like, God, that's exactly what I was afraid of. <laughs> what do you mean don't be afraid? And then he doesn't even go on and say, and you're going to get pregnant and have a baby and everything is going to work out for you and Joseph's going to be cool with it and it's all going to go well for you. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a baby and it's going to be awesome for God. And, and, I, and I think... One of the things that allows us to prepare well is to realize that, that some of the most troubling times in our lives, so, some of the times in our lives that, that are the most incredibly challenging and feel the hardest when we're looking around and we're saying, God, I was obedient to you and you completely abandoned me here in this mess. Those times are some of the times when God is saying, I am with you, your favor, my favor is with you and you don't need to be afraid. And we'll respond well when we'll trust God's final reality. Right? Stress, anxiousness, fear, all of those can push and press us so much that we start to think, I'm alone. Right? I'm alone. And we're afraid. And we're thinking, God can't be real if I feel this way. Or God must just not like me if I feel this way. Right? But Jesus isn't called the feeling. Jesus is called the truth. And all those moments at camp are awesome. But the difference is when you come home and the moment when they're gone and you're anxious and you're stressed again and you press through and you find faith. Right? And you find the truth. And the truth, God says, is called Emmanuel. God with us. That's the truth. If you want to prepare well, if I want to prepare well, then in the midst of Christmas, which has all kinds of feelings attached to it, doesn't it? Some of them are great. Sometimes at Christmas we have the greatest hope. And sometimes at Christmas we have the greatest pain and the greatest fear and the greatest regret and the greatest sense that life is not working out the way that we hoped or the way that we felt like it should. And if we want to be well prepared, if we want to respond well, one of the things that we can do is we can say, I trust the truth of Emmanuel, even when my feelings fail me. Mary did that. Mary said, okay. Mary asked God this question. She says, how will this be? Right? Saying basically, I'm in. I'm in. But God's response to how will this be is also a little troubling because I think the the second group of people that that I really want to encourage today and that that I want to speak to today is not the feelers, but the planners. You guys know the planners. I am not the planners. I always tell my wife everything is going to work out. And she always says to me, I'm the reason everything works out. (laughs) You know, those people, right? You're the ones who know where you know where the keys are. Right. Like, you know where they left the keys and that's why you got here on time or whatever. Right. Like the planners. Right. And so, so some of us, we don't rely on feelings, but we rely on the plan. And we say the plan is God's plan, but it's not really God's plan. It's kind of like God's plan in our accent. Right. There's God's plan, but, but I've got the details in front of me. And, and when the plan stops working, that's when we struggle to stay ready in a good way. 
right? When the plan doesn't work the way that we thought it was going to work, when the plan doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go, what we do instead of leaning into God is we lean into another plan. And then we lean into another plan. And then when the details of the plan start to fall apart, we think God's gone. Right? God's not here. And and I want to say something about planning. I don't think planning is a lack of faith, right? When you say, well, I don't plan because I have faith, it's probably just because you don't like to plan. I mean, it's probably true. That's why I do it. It's because I'm unprepared. Right? I don't think planning is a lack of faith if it's faith-filled and faithful. If your planning is faith-filled, meaning you're constantly laying your plans before the Lord, and it's faithful, meaning you're really living to God's word more than you're living to your plan, then planning isn't a lack of faith. But the other thing we need to know today is Jesus is not the plan. He's the word of God. I see this with high schoolers all the time. They have the plan. This is who I'm going to marry. This is where I'm going to go to school. And it falls apart and they say, where's God? As if if God was only contingent on being real if he followed their plan. But Jesus is not the plan. He's the word. Mary says, how will this be? It's a great question. Mary says, I know how this works. What's going to happen? Am I doing something? Are you doing something? What are we doing? And then what, what the angel says is not super helpful. He doesn't give her a plan. He says, basically, he says, God's got it. God's got it. Just trust him to work. And if if I'm Mary, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like that's, That's not incredibly insightful. I'm just supposed to wait and trust you. And God says, yeah, because Jesus is a person. He's not a plan. And trusting a person when you don't know the plan means staying connected. And ultimately what God wants for you is not that you would follow a plan, but that you would stay connected. Because he says, you're going to need me more than you need your plan because you're going to have your plans and all these other people are going to get in. They're going to mess it up and you're probably going to mess it up. And then you're going to start to doubt that my word is true because you messed up the plan. But here's what I need you to know. I work all things to the good for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. So don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing this. Trusting in God is an active verb and it's a personal work. We give up on God when we get caught up in the details of our plan rather than believing in the word. That never fails. He never fails. So I'm going to have Logan come back up and the worship team, I think, too. We're going to have a time of response. I just want to share a couple of handholds. Obviously, uh, when uh, the prayer teams come up, please come receive prayer. Whatever's going on in your life, you need physical, spiritual, emotional healing. Please come forward. Um, but, but in terms of, of, of what I felt like I was saying through this particular word and maybe people specifically uh, that, that might feel called to respond. Um, I thought about people that just feel ready to give up. Like you're just tired. It's the end of the year. It didn't turn out like you thought. Things are not going the way that you hoped they would. Maybe it has nothing to do with the end of the year. Maybe it's just life right now. And, and you're just ready to be done. Like hanging on, waiting, persevering, trusting the Lord. You're just exhausted. And, and I thought about three types of people first or people who feel alone. It's easy to feel like you're by yourself and God's not near. 
I thought about people who feel afraid. Right? You're just fearful. You're just not sure what's going to come next. Things, things don't feel like they're going the way they should go. And, and you're just unsure and afraid and stressed out. And then I thought about people who feel stuck. And you can be stuck because your plan failed. And now you don't know what to do. And, and you really need to know what God's word is again. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to come up for prayer. But you can also be stuck because you're so tied to your plan that your life has just become dull. And it's less than God really wants it to be. And you're looking at your life and you're like, it's fine. I come in here and I do this and I love Jesus and I know he died for me and we're going to have a good Christmas. But it feels like there should be something else. And he just kind of got stuck in this plan and God's looking at you and he's saying, I've got these incredible things for you. If you'll trust me to do the impossible. See, I think one of the biggest problems with, with knowing so much about Mary and how Mary is held up in such high esteem a lot of times in the church is that we tend to think, but, but I'm not Mary. But I'm not Mary. And I would say, you're right. You're not Mary. You're way better off than Mary was. And God's looking at you like he looked at Mary. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, like, listen, I want my son in the world. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy for you. And I'm not saying that it's going to be comfortable for you. I'm saying that the world needs my son. And I'm also saying if you say yes, we're going to do some impossible things. And you're going to wonder, is God really here? Because you're going to be out there on the edge. And if I'm not there, watch out. But you're also going to live into the best that this life could be. You're going to bring the light in the world. And just like with Mary, like the, the real sign that God's with you isn't that things are easy. The real sign that God is with you is that people come towards because people need to be near God. And just like that happened with Mary, you're going to start to see that as you live out well, believing God's word, that this is what he came to do. Light of the world, salt of the earth, city on a hill. And, and so my hope today is that when you're, when you're living into this season, that, that, that you're well prepared in terms of, of looking towards the final reality and, and letting God use your feelings, but not letting your feelings be God. And, and that you're thinking through things well, but you're trusting God's word and you're letting God sort out the details of the plan as you go because, because the, your best laid plans going to have complications, but that you're trusting, you're trusting, you're trusting that God's word never fails, that God's son never fails, and he's not going to fail you, he's not going to fail you, so I'm going to turn it over to Logan, see him, all right, he's right there, cool, let him take it from there. We're going to go into the time of ministry, um, and so uh, like every week we have uh, offering baskets up here, and so again, if you want to give specifically to the year and offering there's envelopes in the baskets on the side of the rows there's also some envelopes out in the uh in the lobby um we also have communion um and then we're going to have prayer teams so if you're uh, on our prayer team if you could come up um but what a beautiful message that david shared right the idea that uh in the midst of things not being easy or things being really difficult or complicated or our feelings being out of whack or our plans being out of whack that the truth is that god's present and that he's here and so maybe this morning, that's where you're at. Maybe you came in thinking, I don't live this blessed life or I haven't been feeling God's blessing. And hopefully, as God spoke through David this morning, you see that blessing is not being easy, but blessing is, is an opportunity to step into more of what God has. And that's the opportunity for you this morning. 
So I would encourage you, if you are in that place where you feel alone or afraid or stuck or maybe something completely separate from this, uh, don't do it alone. Don't do it by yourself. Don't feel like you have to be in this fight by yourself. Uh, Come up and get prayer. Uh, Come up and celebrate communion to remember the truth that Jesus did come. He was born, that he did die for you. And that freedom and forgiveness aren't the end, but they're the beginning to step into what he has for you in life. And so I'm going to pray. And after that, like I said, just respond as the Lord leads this morning. I would just encourage you, don't leave without doing what you need to do with God this morning. So God, I thank you that that you're good, that you're present. I thank you that a lot of times it it feels like you're not present, but you are. That you're never going to leave us that you've made the promise to be with us always. And so this morning I ask that for the people that feel uh, furthest away from you, God, that you would come and speak a reminder that you're right here, that you're in the room. God, I pray this morning that that for every person here that, that feels like their feelings or their plans are wrecked, God, that, that they would step close to you to listen to your voice, to hear the truth that you are the end result not only are you the end result, but you're here right now. So God, would you come and would you speak? Would you draw near to us?